with Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where we have laid where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulchre. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulchre and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. And at and for as yet they knew not the scripture that he must be, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without at the sepulchre weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulchre, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. When she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabbani, which is to say, Master. And Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father, and to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and that he had spoken these things unto her. May God add a special blessing to reading of his word, and let us just pause for prayer before we start our study. Father God, we come into your presence thanking you for all that was accomplished. It was many, many years ago. We know from Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 that at just the right time, you sent Jesus. And Father, at just the right time, he went to the cross. At just the right time, he arose. Being the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world, as John the Baptist described him as. What a perfect, wonderful sacrifice that was fully and completely accepted by yourself. Now, Father, today as we look into this blessed hope, give us insights, Father, and the wondrous wisdom that can come only from yourself. It gives us an even an, a more intimate sense of koinonia that we've been touching upon from John in his epistle, the first John. Father, that is your desire as well. Father, we would pray today as well that if there's someone here that does not know Jesus Christ personally, that as a result of your word, in the Spirit, that today would be that day. Father, we'll thank you for what you'll accomplish. We would ask that today our, our teacher would exclusively be the Holy Spirit. And now we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, <clears throat> what are the things that press on you today? What are things that you woke up this morning, and what happened? Churches in the, Excuse me? Those churches in that 
foreign country that Christian churches that were bombed? Yeah. In Sri Lanka? Yeah. Many people lost their lives. Yeah. Tragic. Tragic. What else? I was thankful I was a believer. <laughs> that pretty much capsulizes it all, isn't it? Thankful we're believers in Jesus Christ. Well, let's all go home. That's, a, that's as good as it gets right there because of what Jesus accomplished. It's great, isn't it? It's awesome. What else did you guys wake up with today? I thought of you. <laughs> I'm scared to ask. <laughs> I think there was one of them that, that did, yeah, and lost her life, but she was instantly in the presence of her Jesus, who really wasn't hung there by nails. Our sin held him like a magnet to that cross, because that's what it would have taken for him to be the right sacrifice. You ever thought of that before? He wears, he wears the nail prints, but it was our sin that held him fast to that cross. That's why in Hebrews chapter 12 it says that he endured the cross with joy, knowing what would come. That's powerful. Yes? I thought about the hope and peace that I have, that since Jesus lived, I will live too. Absolutely. Jesus Christ, our first fruits of, right, of, resur- of the resurrection. And think of that. that what we're going to be looking at from today, I, I want us to take almost like a fresh look. I've read it. You've read it. Paul read it, but I want us to come in from this. We want to slip right into the sandals of those individuals as they would have taken that morning, that first fresh Sunday morning, the first time ever that changed everything. They didn't know. They didn't know. We do. Isn't it a a privilege to... He has risen. He has risen indeed. If that hadn't happened, I will guarantee you I would not be here. <laughs> because there would be no strength whatsoever in Christianity. There would be no power whatsoever. Because if he had not risen, then Jesus would have lied. And if he would have lied, he was a fraud. But he did. There would be no hope. Literally, no hope. And those apart from Jesus Christ today have no hope. They may be cruising through life, but without Jesus, they have no hope with Jesus because of what he accomplished. There is great hope. Before, before he appeared, they must have been wondering, we've been believing this guy for all these years and now. It's just like what you've been teaching, would we come here one day and say, Larry have been teaching from a fraudulent book. Totally. This, what's, this, this, this. In, fact, in fact, in fact, you, we, that's where I want you to get. It's a great place for us to start today. Is literally these his disciples and those women. There's you, you find these Mary Magdalene being one of those women. We're going to talk about her a little bit more. But there was there was women that he ministered to that he literally saved. And for three years he was actively engaged in full ministry. And I can't imagine the loss of everything that they had counted on, that they looked for, and some of the things they were looking forward to, just as an aside, were not exactly godly. Even the night that they were gathered around that table, 
and it's not a table as such, but they were gathered in a circle, communing with their master, with their rabbi, with their teacher, with the one that they called the Christ, the Christos, the anointed, the Messiah. And yet, what were they arguing about that night? Who would be the greatest? (laughs) Missed the message. Jesus, though, as usual, was able to cut right through of that, and what did he do? He stripped down to the waist, grabbed a towel and some water, and started washing their feet. Now, if that didn't make the place quiet, (laughs) but it did. But that's how Jesus handled it. That's who he was. But I'm going to tell you something. Even on that night, which there would have been a great deal of humility that would have immersed that room from the surroundings and throughout because of what Jesus had done, even in that quiet place, in just a few hours, having gone through uh, illegal trials, illegal beatings, illegal scourgings, illegal everything, and literally now at the foot of that cross are his mother, And others, John being one of the disciples, one of the only disciples as we know it, watching all of their all of their dreams, all of the things they counted on, and literally vanished as the last three words that were uttered at three o'clock in the afternoon on that day, it is finished. I can't imagine what would have been going through their minds. It's a total loss. I'm not talking about we wasted our time. I thought, I, 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 thought we, I thought we could trust you. You said you were the Christos, the Messiah. You said you were the, the king of the Jews. Accepted that. Accepted worship. And, right? Have I got you there? Yeah. The other thing that I want to see that is, uh, when we, Mary Magdalene is the first one we're, that we're identified here in John chapter 20. As this unfolds, there's some very interesting things that must have been if there were if there was journalists and there was newspapers and there was any type of communication or communique, I will guarantee you after the Sabbath, even before the Sabbath began, what happened at three o'clock in the afternoon on the day that Jesus Christ was crucified, there was some significant events that must have went noticed, such as people that had died. It says saints that literally rose from the dead and were walking around Jerusalem. That'll get your attention. There was an earthquake. It literally broke rocks. It was dark from noon till three. Boy, what kind of news would we, could we have from CNN out of that today? Excuse me? The veil. The, that's the, that is literally the other. And it was split not from the bottom up, from the top down. And that was about that thick. The Holy of Holies would have been exposed to everyone that walked inside that temple. I wonder what the priests were doing as they offered the Passover lamb. I'm going to tell you something. I think the news would have been just, this is breaking news. That's where I want you. There's something, excuse me. It wouldn't have covered it. They, They would have been off somewhere else, right? They weren't in Jerusalem. They didn't have any correspondence. In fact, I'm afraid most of our major media today would have missed it. They would have missed it. They missed Jesus today with the resurrection power that has literally conquered death and sin. Are you guys getting excited yet? Good. What was that? Oh, yes. Yeah, this day is about rabbits and bunnies and stuff. And This is the day Jesus rose from the dead. He broke something that had never happened before. 
But I want, I want you to be engaged as well and immersed from what the main populace would have been engaged in topics would have been taking place, and I'm sure it would have even begun now this first day of the week. The Jews don't name days, they name numbers. The first day of the week. This would have been a Sunday, a Sunday morning, early as it's described for us. And I want you to see, I don't want you to miss this. In fact, let's go back to Luke for a moment, because it also will dispel one of the, the, the theories that has, uh, was wandering around during that time. Let's go to Luke chapter 24. Maybe it's chapter 23. I'll know when I get there. <clears throat> yeah, Luke chapter 23, and we'll start in verse 52. Now, this is really leading us into the time sequence before this Sunday morning early. And Jesus has given up the ghost. He has declared it is finished. Verse 52 of Luke chapter 23 says, This man, I'm sorry, let's do it verse 51 to identify him. The same had not consented to the council, indeed of them. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This is Joseph of Arimathea. And he says in verse 52, This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein never man was before was lain. And that day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew on. This would have been the day before. The Sabbath was quickly approaching. In fact, as most of you would probably know, the Jewish day is very different from the Roman description of time. Where we start at midnight, we go from midnight to midnight. In other words, you go from morning to night, if you will. The Jew, Jewish day would start from sunset to sunset, from night to day, from night to day. So if you think of it for a moment now, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon was when Jesus said it is finished. Literally at 6 o'clock p.m. would be the beginning of the next day, which means they have to have their stuff to get ready for a Sabbath at 6 o'clock. All of the Sabbath rules come into place. This being a high holy day, because the Passover was also included within the Sabbath, it was even ultra important. So I want, you to, I want you to get this. This is why Mary is here early Sunday morning, the day after the Sabbath, because she wants to finish what they were not able to conclude on the Friday evening between 3 and 6. Now we know that Joseph, Arimathea, and Nicodemus, the two men that actually came to get Jesus' body from Pilate, they took him, they wrapped him, began the burial process, if you will. Remember how Lazarus was? I'm going to add, this is significant as well. Because when the disciples came into the tomb, they found the, the grave clothes lying there. We'll be talking about this more explicitly. Do you remember what Jesus said to Lazarus? Come forth. What else did he tell those around him? Loose him. Lazarus couldn't take off his own grave clothes. But they had not finished by Friday evening what they had set out to do. Now, here's the other thing is that what, in a, where, there's a whole lot of theories about the fact. First of all, Jesus didn't die. And then Jesus didn't rise. There's theories on both sides of that trying to take away the significance of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. All three of those components are absolutely mandatory for the scripture to be revealed and to be fulfilled. There are those that believe in the swoon theory. In other words, through all of the course of all of this uh, high stress that he literally passed out. And then when he was put into the, into the sepulcher, it was cool. And the spices, the herbs of which he, his body would have been anointed, brought him to. And then he rolled the stone away, 
<laughs> beat up the Roman soldiers who were there guarding the, guarding the... And then he went to the disciples and said, how you doing, guys? Let's go. Exactly that, too. Now, that is, that is nothing short of complete absurdity. It makes no sense whatsoever. So, in other words, he didn't die. That's a problem, too. If you don't believe Jesus died, you've got the wrong Jesus. You couldn't possibly be saved by him if he didn't die because he didn't die for your sin. But on the other side of it, there's the one of which uh, they went to the wrong tomb. They went to the wrong tomb. Well, that's interesting. If they went to the wrong tomb, then when the disciples had declared that he was risen, then all they would have to do, speaking of the Roman soldiers or the high priest, go to the right tomb and produce the body. End of story. Guess what's never been produced over all of these years? The body of Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. I pumped it out there for you. But I want you to see something why they didn't go to the wrong tomb. Let's continue in Luke chapter 23. Verse 53. He took it down, Joseph of Arimathea, and he wrapped it in linen, laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein never man before was laid. Do you know Jesus didn't even have his own tomb? It was a borrowed one. He didn't need it very long. There was no sense. He just did a rental because he didn't need it. And that day was the preparation the Sabbath drew on. Now watch verse 55. And the women also which came with him from Galilee, followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. They knew exactly where they were going. It wasn't like, oh, I wonder where they put him. Oh, let's go look over here. Oh, that's the wrong place. Oh, they knew exactly where they were going early Sunday morning. Let's go back to John. Let's find Mary Magdalene. What do you know about her? In fact, maybe stay where you're at. Stay in Luke for a moment. What do you guys know? Don't go anywhere. Just stop. Just stop turning pages. We're good right where we're at. We'll we'll go where we need to go. What do you guys know about Mary Magdalene? She did. She did, didn't she? She had devils or demons. What else do you know? Anything else you know about her? Now, we don't know a lot, but we know this. I'm going to come back to this again. I'm going to tell you the buzz around Jerusalem would have been all of these events that would have happened right about the time when Jesus Christ was crucified. And the temple worship the next day on the Sabbath must have been chaotic. What did they hang over the place where the, where the veil had been ripped into? We can't go in there, right? And you know why? They didn't, they didn't even need to be worried about because Jesus had absolutely taken care of it from top to bottom. But I want you to see this. Mary was so dedicated, so loyal, so in love with Jesus. Early, as soon as she could, she takes off. To finish anointing Jesus, regardless of all the other stuff around her. Was she the Mary that put the oil on his feet with her hair? It's a different Mary. Yeah, but there's a. I'll tell you what, there's a number of Marys, and you get you can get you can kind of get confused. There's another Mary, the Mar- the mother of James, and the 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 I was going to say the husband of Cleophas, the wife of Cleophas. She and Mary, the mother of Jesus, were cousins. And you'll see them together a lot. Then there's the Mary from Rome. And there's another Mary that there's about four or five. Yeah, Lazarus is a sister, Mary and Martha. So there's a lot of Marys. That's the Mary? Mary? Okay. Yeah, well, actually it was. Yes, Mary and Martha. That's right. There it is. See, if we ask enough questions, eventually we we get it figured out. But I'm, I'm impressed by this. 
here is this woman early Sunday morning with all of the buzz. No, Jesus is dead. He's not in a hurry. Right? Yeah. And the other thing, that there's, there's, some, there's, some, there's some real encumbrances here that I've, I'm processing. And it, she still went. And there was other women that went with her. If you read the other, other gospel accounts, there was, a, there was three or four of these ladies that went to the sepulcher. I'm thinking, big problem. Because they would have watched. They would have watched what happened on the night when Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus would have put Jesus' body in there and not quite finished the job. But what, what would be very important? To close the sepulcher so that no one would interfere or bothered in any way, shape, or form. Now, that's one of those things that probably weighs about a ton, the, the, the rock that would roll in front of it. And it's on a downhill incline. So all you do is you take the little, there's, a, there's a, a little block or a ramp of which you pull it out and it just rolls right into place. It does not roll so easily the other way. You ever try to rock, roll big rock uphill? Exactly. Now apparently, I'm not sure if they hadn't thought about it or they just said it's going to work out. <laughs> Here they come. Here they come. Let's talk a little bit more. Let's find the first time we find Mary Magdalene in the, Mary Magdalene in the scriptures. Let's go to Luke chapter 8. I don't know if I still held you up there or not, but Luke chapter 8. And I want you to see what happened with her previously in Jesus Christ's intervention, if you will. Luke chapter 8. We'll start in verse 1. Luke chapter 8, verse 1. It came to pass afterward... Luke chapter 8, verse 1. I still have pages rustling. It came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And certain women, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils. Now, there's not a lot told of what, you know, it doesn't describe her in any other way than I'm aware of. At this point, but I'm going to just say this. Her life must have been a mess for seven demons to feel comfortable enough to make her a home. I can't imagine how difficult her life must have been. This is the same Mary Magdalene that literally is on a pointed focused trip to go finish what she had started with Jesus Christ, who she believed was very, very dead. Let's keep going. Let's go back to John chapter 20. Let's find what happens. John chapter 20. The first day of the week, verse 1. The first day of the week, Sunday, cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Now, now what? mark this. She, she's walking, and it's dark. I mean, it's just the break of day, if you will. And if you look at the other gospel accounts, you'll see the breaking of the dawn, the early, early morning. But it's the same picture, but have you been on the, on the dark side of dawn? Uh-huh, you know what I'm talking about. That's what's described here. And it was, she would have walked up. She came to the sepulcher, which she had been to before. This isn't the wrong one. This is the same one that she'd been to. And she perceives that the, the stone is rolled away. What are you going to think? First of all, Poof! That body is gone. Someone has taken Jesus' body. Now, she has not an inkling, not a thought, nothing in concern that he's risen. She would have no idea whatsoever. We'll find this further on. She just thought somebody has taken Jesus' body. What does she do? It tells us that she runneth and came to Simon Peter whom Jesus, and, and, the, and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Who is? 
John. So Peter and John, whom Jesus loved, said, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we don't know where they've laid him. Now, notice your, the word we. There was other women that would have dressed. You find the other gospel accounts speaking of at least three or four other women that would have went to the same place. But Mary Magdalene was the one that ran back to the disciples. Guys, guys, they'd taken Jesus' body. And what did they do? They ran back. Now, we find out that John had been practicing running more than Simon Peter because Simon Peter's behind him. But he gets her eventually. But look, John, unless it's described for us. In, how did I do with that? Everybody, that's probably pretty normal. Verse 3, Peter, therefore, I'm sorry, let me got to get back. Uh, da, 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 da. Verse 3, Peter, therefore, went forth, and that other disciple came to the sepulcher. So they're literally running to the, to the sepulcher. So they ran both together. And the other disciple, John, did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw. I want you to mark that word saw there. Now, in the, in the English, it's saw. But actually, the word that we're given there, in the Greek, there's three. Let's, let's keep going. I'll come back to it in a moment. But mark that one. Saw the linen clothes lying, yet when he not in. In other words, he's come up to the sepulcher, and he looks inside. And he sees. And that's just literally, it's like using your eyes to, to literally take in what you're seeing. Nothing more than that. You're just seeing. You're looking. Okay? Here comes Peter. You know what Peter does. Get out of my way. I'm going to get right in there, right? That's who he is. He's, he's, pretty, he's pretty forceful. He's kind of loud. He's, but you know what? What do we know about happened in Peter's life in the last not too many hours? What did he do? He denied Christ three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. What do you think is on his heart right now? Verse 6. Then cometh Simon Peter following him. He went into the sepulcher and seeth. Mark that. Seeth the linen clothes lie. Now, that word is not the same as what we saw in, in verse 5. It's a different one. Now, from our perspective, from English, what's the difference between saw and see? If you don't put them together, I'm a seesaw. It's a, they're two very similar terms, aren't they? I saw or you see. <laughs> and it's even more than that. The word that's used here is one that we get our word from in English to theorize, to give theory to. He is actually at the level of perceiving something. He is not just seeing what he sees. He's gone beyond that. Let me show you why. He goes on and we had the napkin, verse 7, that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. The description that we have in all of the gospel accounts is literally, we have just like Lazarus, where all of these, these strips of linen were wrapped around him, there would have been like, have you ever seen a, an empty cocoon? The shell is still there that holds the body's shape. They are looking, now this is, this is Simon Peter now, John just looked in, he just sees stuff. Now, when Peter ran inside, he's looking at what on the where Jesus' body was laid, and guess what? It's not just a pile of rags. He's seeing the body shape that is empty. He's starting to... Now, that would get you to thinking, wouldn't it? Now, it goes one step further. John, who now follows in after, seeing that nobody put the rock in. I think think John was worried somebody was going to roll the rock in. Peter, (laughs) Peter, being that kind of guy, said, Ha, 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 I got you in there now. That would be a bad deal, wouldn't it? 
But here he comes. He's falling right behind hard. Then went in, verse 8, also that other disciple, John, which came first. He's kind of like he's really proud he got there first. Did you notice that? He said that two times. And he saw, same word we saw, and believed. But the Greek word there is to literally to perceive. It's like the light went on. It clicked. He saw what was really meant to be seen. Now, again, that, roll, that stone was rolled away for who? For Jesus to get out? It was for the disciples to get in. It was literally for them to, because Jesus, in every place that he ever went, in his resurrected body, he would just pop in, right? Yeah, doors, locked. doors locked. Boom, and there he is, right? Totally, completely could just move with no restrictions in any way, shape, or form. So obviously, the sepulcher has no bearing on him, right? But it has a huge bearing on those that couldn't get in. The perception now is magnanimous because John, it said that he saw, he perceived and believed. I don't think he still knew because it, the last verse here we have in verse, uh, verse 9 says, For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. It's, it's just starting to sink in. Have you ever had those things where, where, the, where the truth is dawning on you? That's exactly what's taking place. And it's like it was, you could just watch this thing. The, the Greek words allow you to see the change and, and, and the whole systematic change of what they, that what they were enduring. Now, let's go on, though. They left. Verse 10. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. They've left. But, meanwhile, Mary, who is so faithful, so hanging in there, if you will, she came back with the disciples, and she is weeping outside of the tomb. Verse 11, but Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping, sobbing, if, the word, if, if, you, if it is the word that's literally used. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. It was almost as such, now I do think this, she ran to get Peter and John, they ran back, and she obviously is not in as big a hurry to get there, because she's already been there. So they go about and look at their deal, figure it out, and leave again. Here comes Mary. She still comes back. Why is she weeping? Why is she sobbing? What is going on here? She really doesn't. And what does she think has went on? Somebody stole Jesus' body. She hadn't even looked in. She was still at a distance. She had sobbing uncontrollably. What is this about? What is this about? Again, I, I want you to, all of these, this, this, this time lapse that is taken from when they started, when they put Jesus in the sepulcher, now you have the Sabbath, and now we're on the next early morning, and now she's coming, coming back to, to finish the job, to literally get closure, if you will. This was her final say to Jesus. He's no more dead than he was, but at the same time, this is for her. She would have been, she would have finished on a Friday night if the Sabbath rules hadn't coincided. This is her time that she was looking forward to, to finally say goodbye to the one that had given her life. I mean, I can't imagine what it'd be like to have seven demons living within you that Jesus cast them out. And she'd been following them around ever since. And she's beside herself. Now she looked in. What did she see? She sees two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. 
That's right. That's right. And it was not Peter and John. <laughs> Those guys were not angels, right? That was a poor attempt at a bad joke. But at any rate, something came to my mind, though, as you think about this. So now she looks in, and inside are two angels, which would be another indication of a resurrection, something very miraculous has just taken place. First of all, the tomb is empty. Secondarily, there's two angels, one at the head and one at the feet. That reminded me of something. Let's go to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25. Exodus 25. These are instructions that God had given to Moses in developing the ark and the mercy seat, which would sit in the Holy of Holies. And I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just diving in, if you will, but if you started at verse 10 and you went to verse 22, you would find how they were to build the ark and the mercy seat, which was sitting in behind again. Remember we talked about that veil being split that was about this wide in the new temple, and that was what protected, and literally no one could go inside there because inside was where the presence of God would dwell. And in there was this ark and the mercy seat. And this ark in the middle of it was called the mercy seat. And literally that, that priest would take blood in there one day out of the year when he had prepared himself, purified himself, and he would put blood on the mercy seat. And that would atone for the sins of the nation of Israel for that year. And guess what? Let's watch this now for a second. Verse 22 and there I, God speaking, there I will meet with you and I will commune with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, those are angels, which are upon the ark of the test testimony of all things which I will give thee in the commandment unto the children of Israel. There was a, an angel on each end of this mercy seat. Isn't that exactly what Jesus Christ had just accomplished? He was the mercy seat. His blood was on the mercy seat. And it's just, to, to me, it just pictures that perfectly. Perfectly. It's beautiful, isn't it? And see, it's amazing how all these pieces fit together when God makes it work. Let's go back to John. And literally in a new resurrected body. Okay? There, there is obviously, just like you today, the, the real important part of you, well, boy, I've got to be careful I say this. It's real important for all of us right here in the body that we're living and breathing in, our, our heart and our lungs and our, all of those things. But that's not the real important part of you. That's just as Paul said, it's the tent or the temporary holding. The real part of you that's really the real you is your soul. The part that only humans have. We were made in the image of God. Cats don't have souls. I'm sorry to say. Uh, dogs don't have souls. I'm sorry to say. Only humans that were created in God's own image. They have a soul. And that one day, you're going to trade your body that you have right now. It's, and it's a really good trade. Amen. Because of what Jesus did. 
You will get a brand new, resurrected, never wear out, never need fixing, never need operating, need no doctors, need no pills, need no, you can eat ice cream all day. Oh, I don't know about that part. But all of that <laughs> stuff is yours because of what Jesus Christ accomplished. So when the saints came out of the graves, did they have human bodies? It doesn't really say, does it? <laughs> That's a really good question. <laughs> I actually, and I have to be, I'm going to base this, it just popped in my head right now, so I'm going to run with it. That's a, by the way, that's a fantastic question. I need to do a little more research, but here's what I know the Bible says about Jesus. He was the first fruits of the resurrected body. So I'm, I'm convinced just from that, that they literally, those that had died, they have their own ordinary body and they would have wandered around Jerusalem and everyone would have known who they are just as they were. They did not have their, because they had to die again. Think of it. No, no. Let's, let's, look, let's look at that. Let's make sure. But well, we're going to take a bunny trail here, but that's okay. Let's go to, um, we may have to find the right gospel. Let's go to, um, we can try John since we're there. And I do not see it. Let's try Luke. Luke. Let's go. Is it Matthew? Okay. I was going to get there. You guys start at the other end. That's good. That's good. Probably like what? Chapter 27, probably. Um, let's see. There we go. Let's, uh, let's dive in there. Yeah, there we go. Verse 50. We'll start right there. Jesus, are you there? Matthew chapter 27, verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And we know from other gospel accounts that that would have been, it is finished. And behold, a veil of the temple was rent in two from the top to the bottom. The earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now, that is a bit confusing to me right there. Well, it says after the resurrection. But it started right there. Yeah, but they didn't get up until... To be continued. I have to, I have to study that one for a while. Because it's at that time frame, it seems, that literally the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept rose. Because it's tied to the same sentence that you have in verse 51. So I'm not going to go any further down that trail before somebody saws the limb off. <laughs> but there, it seems to me to be a little bit two different time frames. Let's work on that, though. It may not be a right answer, but you know what? That's what I love about the Bible. There's more stuff to study all the time. Now, back to the thought of where we were at, which is, did anybody bring us back? That's okay, by the way. I love these. These are, these are, this, is what's, this is what's good stuff. Um, excuse me? Yep, okay. And then, uh, where did we go then? Or is that where we were at? Gail, what did you say? You got a, you got a comment. See, that's where we tied on. And then we went off to other stuff. What, was, what did you say? Do you remember? Oh, okay. Oh, the, the spirit. This, yeah, the spirit. Okay, okay. This, and this is very, and I want to make sure we understand this, because Jesus being the first fruits of a resurrected body, it's not just a spirit. Now, when you, when you pass away, when your last moment on this earth is, your body stays behind you. The shell, the tent, whatever Paul would want to describe it as, or the Bible does, that stays here. We are absent from the body and present with the Lord is what the scripture says. You are in heaven. Okay? Now, 
I don't know how you know each other up there, but it seems like they do. But at the rapture, the sec, or the, when, when, we, when the, the rising of the, the saints from here and the rapture, you know, we meet Jesus in the air. At that time, it says all of those that are dead from before in the New Testament, not the Old Testament, that's a later, that's a later rising. All of those will get their new bodies and meet him in the air. And that's where you get it all put together, just like Jesus Christ. Now, yes, he is all God, but he also has his body that is fully resurrected. And that's the one that would walk right through this door. I'm not going to be able to do that, but he can. He also ate. He spoke. That's right. And that resurrected body will bear for eons and eons and eternity forever the fact of what literally sin cost the dear son of God. That's amazing, isn't it? Now, the other thing I want to point out while we're here right now, there's about 10 different times that Jesus appeared to, to others. And in almost every, every case except for one that I can think of, he always appeared to believers. He never exposed himself to unbelievers except Paul on the road to Damascus. Everyone else were believers. And do you know that even the disciples did not know who he was? Mary, right here, Mary Magdalene, did not know who Jesus was. She perceived him to be the gardener. Every single time Jesus Christ, he popped in the room of the disciples, and they were what? Sore afraid. And he described for them who they were. And they said some of them didn't believe. Now, would you? Now, think of it. Just a second. So you just watched Jesus being crucified. You know he was in the tomb, and here he is in the middle of you. That would be weird. But what I, my point was this. No one knew Jesus without his announcing it. The two men walking down the road. They did not know him. They didn't know him. That's exactly right. In fact, there's, and I'm convinced of this, they sat down to eat. If you were going to go to Luke chapter 24, I believe it is, it was later in that same day. I mean, Jesus was busy that day. Let me tell you what. He appeared to make, and the first, the first showing of himself to anyone after being post-resurrected was Mary Magdalene, number one. Then he appeared to those disciples on the way to, uh, to Emmaus later in that day. And then that night, he popped into the disciples, the 11 that were in a locked room. And then a week later, he popped into the same 10 disciples. I'm, did I say 11? It should have been 10 because Thomas wasn't there and Judas had taken care of himself. And then eight days later, guess what? For Thomas's sake, he pops in again. And then you'll find him appearing before a, a group of 500. And then just before his ascension, there was a group of believers there as well. And there's probably two of them I left out. Well, Paul would be another one. I think there's a total of 10 different appearances that Jesus appeared to only believers excepting Paul. And on all of those occasions, Paul, what did he say? Who are you? Well, of course, I don't blame him too much. He hadn't been on his page for quite a while. He did appear to James, too. That's correct. As another one with the 500 and, and to James. Yeah. And now that one we don't know. That one we don't know if he had to announce himself to James or not. It's not described or disclosed to us. But now think of this. It would be interesting to know. See, that's a question I would have. James was raised in the same house as Jesus. Who are you? <laughs> but but I, I've got to say, though, he appeared to the 11 disciples, and they didn't know who he was. Mary Magdalene did not know who he was. He spoke. She didn't know who he was until he said her name, and only Jesus could say her name that way. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? So the resurrected body has certainly some differences as well. 
Okay. Um, let's see if we can. Um, there's, I think we need, I don't know if we haven't said this yet. Uh, our time is rolling on. We're, we're okay. One of the things, talk to me about the significance of the resurrection. Now, we've been talking about the sense of, for we as Christians, being followers of Jesus Christ, that it's, it's absolutely essential. If you don't have the resurrection, we, this would be a pointless waste of your time. You could have went and done something else. Just done anything else, and you'd have been just as well ahead. But I want to look at it from a different perspective now. That's from our perspective. Resurrection is vitally important. But from God's perspective, what's the significance of the resurrection? Or from Jesus' perspective... What is the significance of the resurrection? It's finished? Okay. When Jesus said it is finished, what was finished? The resurrection? No. The sacrifice. The sin, the sin bearing, the redemption part of it. I paid for it. Everything that Jesus could have possibly done with sin, like magnets holding him to that cross, he accomplished. But what hadn't happened? The resurrection. Jesus was at this point still very, very hostage because he was all man. That's what died. He was all God. That was the part that made the sacrifice perfect. If he have, You're getting there. Go if for he it. Wouldn't have rose again, God would have never been able to say it was good enough. It wouldn't have been enough. No. The resurrection is God's validation that Jesus' suffering and sacrifice was 100% satisfactory and the payment was paid in full. If he would not have been resurrected, it was not enough. There is so much strength in that. There is so much strength in that. In other words, Buddha, Confucius. I'm going to run out of these guys. Help me along. All of these guys, Muhammad, all of those ones that said they were saviors of the world. Jim Jones. Not any one of those rose from the dead. Think of it. There's only one that's ever done it. And he's the only one that the validation, in other words, the seal of approval, God said... I will raise you from the dead because this is perfectly satisfactory and you are the complete satisfaction or propitiation, the big word, for this to be accomplished. Think of that. That is so big. Now, resurrection to us is our life. To God, it's the real deal. Completed, fulfilled. It's approved. It's the approved Exactly. 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 That, and that's the other reason that really, you know, people say, well, the resurrection. <laughs> I mean, you've got to be kidding me. Well, if the resurrection didn't happen, if you can prove the resurrection didn't happen, if it's a hoax, then everything that God said is a lie. Everything Jesus said was a lie. Because it says in Ephesians chapter 1, and I think it's about verse 4, that, that before the foundations of the world, before he made anything, he had already decided... That Jesus Christ would be the only way to be able to have salvation. And if that wouldn't have worked, then he couldn't have been resurrected. And if he's not resurrected, we are more miserable than anyone, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That is the key. The resurrection is so key component in everything that you believe, everything that you have power in, everything that God said and Jesus said. It is absolutely the most important thing you could possibly have in Christianity. When Adam and Eve sinned, he said that there's going to be one that's going to bruise the Satan's heel. That's right. And that was the prediction. Exactly. From Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, was actually the very beginning of where God laid before mankind that, 
you know what? I'm not surprised by what you and Adam and Eve did. But for me to have allowed, to not have allowed the opportunity, then we could have never had love. Because love without free will is not love. And that's what God has always wanted. He's wanted his, his that he created in his own image to love him. Love short of having free will is not love. Correct? See, I, you can make a computer say, I love you. I think. I can't, but someone could. <laughs> but what does it mean? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Your computer cannot love you. Mine hates me, action. but what's that? Love without action. Yes, yeah, is not love at all. Love. Exactly. And that's why those, uh, my, shoot, my children, those that love me, obey my commandments. You prove your love by what you, how you react, how your life is. That's what we've been talking about in First John, just time after time after time by the same author here. It's John. Well, the writer, the author was the Holy, Holy Spirit. Okay. Um, it's also... It is impossible, listen carefully, it is impossible to be a Christian and not believe in the resurrection. It is impossible to be a Christian and not believe in the resurrection. Let's go to Romans chapter 1 verse 4. Now there are those that claim they're Christian that don't believe in the resurrection. It's impossible. Romans chapter 1, let's go to verse 4. Romans 1 4. We'll start in verse 3. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Are you all there? Romans 1, 3. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, a passage I'm sure many of you are familiar with. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. If you don't know this one, know it. Get used to it. Circle it. Whatever you need to do. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead... Thou shalt be saved, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What's the key component? He rose from the dead. Key component. No salvation and no Christianity if he didn't rise. Okay, let's, uh, let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for a moment. Actually, are you still in Romans? No, no, did you leave? Go back anyway. Go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Sounds like most of you left. That's okay. You can come back. Um, one of the things, the people that deny the resurrection, um, there's one reason that they, that they do that, and that's probably just the fact that they love sin. Let's go to uh, verse 20. Uh, first, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For the invisible things of him... From the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Creation just screams and shouts that there is a God. Because that, verse 21, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, 
they became fools. Now, that's exactly, I mean, if you take apart, you take the swoon theory, we talked about that, or you take the, the wrong tomb theory, none of those, they're just, they're, they're just, they're nonsense. They're nonsense. But how do you believe that? You love sin. That's just the bottom line. You're so deceived, it has you fully and completely in its, in, 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 entrenched. So, one of the things that was continually being said was, just show us miracles. Remember the, Jew, the Jew, Jewish priests and leaders? Show, Jesus, show us, show, us some, show us some miracles. Okay, what would be one of the greatest miracles that Jesus did? What's that? That's pretty big. That's a big deal. But even, let, let's take a step back when he was living. But, and, and by the way, it, now do you know, you know what we said? Every, every instance of what he appeared, he never appeared to unbelievers. Why? Why didn't he? Wouldn't that be the, wouldn't be, finally he could just like, like uh, what's, what's the two, uh, oh, Caiaphas. Annas and Caiaphas, man, I would have wanted to just pop in. Guys, what are you thinking now? What do you think? I'm the guy. What do you think now? What do you want to do to me now? Right? I would, that's just the me. That would be the me and me, right? Okay. That's not, but you know what? He never did. God blinded their eyes. Their eyes were blinded, absolutely. And what did Jesus say about giving miracles and giving supernatural events? And how would it be perceived by the unbelievers? They don't believe it. I'm going to show you how bad it is. I think one of the most significant and the one that Jesus set up with the most, in, I'm going to say, pre-planning miracles of all time was the raising of Lazarus. He consciously determined and waited long enough so that Lazarus wasn't just sick. He's good and dead. And I want you to see the reaction. Let's see if we can find it. I think we'll find it in Luke. or Maybe it's John. There we go. Good job. We're all over it. Good deal. John 11. And it's interesting. Yeah, in John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. What a thing to say, huh? <laughs> I love it. In fact, uh, let's pick up the reading in... Um, let's so to... Uh, verse 18. Let's just go there. John 11, verse 18. Now, Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs. It's about four or five miles away out of Jerusalem. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. In other words, you know what? I, I believe in you enough that if he would have been sick and you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. That's like a really good doctor. I mean, that's somebody, if, if you could have put your hands on him, he would have lived. Okay? <laughs> She's going to find a whole new level of trust and belief. Let's keep going. Then Martha, I'm sorry, verse 22. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to you. Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Now, she didn't get that, did she? Martha said unto him, I know he shall rise again in the resurrection of the last day. See, they believed in the resurrection, looking forward, but it never happened. She's saying, yeah, oh yeah, I know, Lazarus in the last day, Jesus. I get that, you know, we're happy about that. Verse 25. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yes, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, The Master is come, calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house, and comforted her when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. 
Then when Mary was come to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Same kind of a look. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, she, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, behold, how he loved him. Some of them said, could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, could not have caused that even this man should not have died? You see, you see, they, they, death is the, that's the final wall for them. You, that's all, you can't, I can't get beyond that. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, coming through the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, take you away the stone. Martha, the sister of them that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he has been dead for four days. Uh, how much faith does she have right now? She's just being prudent, right? <laughs> right? She's a realist. Jesus said unto her, Said I unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken... Now, now wait, stop. Stop for a moment. Stop right here. Is this not the perfect miracle? He, in fact, even says, Lord God, I'm praying to you right now, even though that I don't need to say this out loud because you hear me all the time and I know that I'm yours and I know that you've sent me. But for these people that have not heard you and do not know you, I'm saying it for their benefit that you have sent me because of what's going to happen. That sounds like a perfect setup. Yeah. It sounds like this should, be the, this should be the clincher. This should finally get all of Jerusalem surrounding him and say, this is the Messiah. Watch carefully. I'm having too much fun today. <laughs> Here we go. When he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Now, that's the same picture that Jesus, when he was on in the sepulcher, except absent the body. That would get you to thinking, wouldn't it? Okay, go back to Lazarus for a second. Verse 44, and he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his napkin was bound about, and his face was bound, bound about with a napkin. Jesus said, loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, what do we? For this man doeth many. Did you see it? This man doeth many miracles. Keep going. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, You know nothing at all, nor consider it that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and the whole nation will not perish. That was amazingly spoken from a very wrong perspective. And verse 52, and not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Now watch verse 53. I have this one underlined in my Bible. You don't have to, but this is what I do. Then from that day forth, they took counsel together for to put him to death. And he had just raised Lazarus, created the most awesome miracle of all times. Absolutely. Absolutely. They didn't want to believe. Someone today that believes in evolution doesn't want to believe. 
That's amazing, isn't it? Now, that's a cool miracle. That's a cool miracle. They wanted to kill him. In fact, let's look at another one in Luke chapter 16, verse 31. Now, it's the end of the rich man and another man named Lazarus. Whoops, I went way too far. Luke chapter 16, let's go there for a second. Luke chapter 16, let's look at verse 31. Now, let me see. We're going to have to back up a little bit. Here we go. Verse 27. Now, this is uh, kind of the end of this, of Jesus' unfolding of this, where we have the rich man and Lazarus, and uh, where there's a great gulf, and he was in uh, Hades, and Lazarus was in paradise. Now, this is the the rich man. Let's see. Where are we going to go here? Uh, Verse 27. Let's start there. Verse 27. Luke chapter 16. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, he's speaking to Abraham, that thou wouldest send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. He just raised Lazarus. Now, not this Lazarus, but the other Lazarus, the new Lazarus, right? Raises from the dead and literally wanted to put him to death. You'll find that in another passage. The Jews wanted to put Lazarus to death because he was a burden by being alive, proving that Jesus could raise someone from the dead. Well, it's true with Jesus. He rose from the dead. Exactly. They don't believe in exactly. Exactly. Exactly right. Exactly right. Okay. Let's go back to, uh, to John. John chapter 20. We're going to uh, start to wrap things up. John chapter 20. Where did we leave off? Okay, yeah, here we go. We got the two angels. Boy, we, that, was a, that was a round, big, far-off trip, wasn't it? It was good, yeah. We took the long way around there. Okay, back to where the two angels were, verse 12. And see two angels in white sitting, one at the head, where at the feet where the body of Jesus is laying, verse 13. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back, or turned around, and saw Jesus standing. In other words, it's almost as if, I, I mean, it's not stated, but it's almost as if she looks in here and she sees two angels, and apparently they're you know, taking on the form of a man because she's not at all inhibited by speaking to them. Okay, And she apparently says, well, he's not in there. They can't help me. So she turns around. Okay, Here's the gardener. Let's see how this goes. When she had thus, turned, thus said, she turned herself back, saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Same question. Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him, if you've taken him, tell me where you laid him, and I will take him away. <laughs> this, this, is, this is crazy. Here's Jesus. Why are you weeping? You know, if you know where they took Jesus, just tell me and I'll take him. Who just spoke to her, right? Yeah. This is crazy. All right? But it gets better. Um, Jesus said unto her, I don't know how you say this, but however he said Mary was the right way to say Mary for her to recognize who he was. 
Mary. That's not right, but you got it. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabbani, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father and to my God and your God. I want to stop. That verse, the first thing, it, it, what it does is it, it grabs you and you can't think about the rest of the verse. And what part just grabs you and you can't think about the rest of the verse? What is it? Go ahead. It does it every time to me. Okay, and don't touch me. Right? That does, it just, boom, it just grabs me and I, can't, I just I miss everything else. There's something that he stated in that verse that has never been said that way before. And it is so astounding, so incredible, so awesome that we miss it. It is so unbelievable of what changed because of the resurrection. And literally, when he said it's finished, he paid for the price. There's something that he changed. It was just one little word. It's got you looking, doesn't it? What did he call his disciples previous before his death? Call them his disciples. Did he ever call them my brothers? Never. Never did. He says, go to my brethren. And he follows it up by saying this. Ooh, I just about wiped out the iris. That's not good. Um, watch this. Let's, let's go through it again. Now, see, I'm going to read the first part, but this time I don't want you to don't, don't tie onto it. Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. Okay, now pay attention. But... Go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father and my God and your God. That is absolutely outrageously impressive. We are sons of God because of what Jesus did there. We are at peace. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And verse 9. Hebrews 2, 9. Never before did he ever call them his brethren. My brothers. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels... For the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. He did it for every man. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And verse 16. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Sons of God. And then it goes on to say, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so, we be suffer with him, may we also be glorified. Now, just a second. Now, all of you here, most, I shouldn't say all of you, because some of you are tied together with families. Okay? But it is that family, in other words, if there's a will and a, and a, and a last will and testament, the heirs are within that family. In other words, Paul's family... When there's a, a last will and testament of his father or his mother, as it was said, it would be for his family. He would be an heir. I would not be. Do you see what just happened? We are fellow heirs with Christ. Amen. Don't miss that. That is, so, you guys should be just jumping up and down, but you don't need to. But do you understand how to say inside? You should just have joy beyond belief because you are not just 
someone that God loved, you are joint heirs with Christ. I can't make it more emphatic than that. I apologize. But it is so powerful. Don't miss it. And this just happened right now. The first time Jesus appeared to the first person post-resurrection, Mary Magdalene, she said, go to my brethren because I'm going to go to my God and your God. That should send shivers up your spine or goosebumps somewhere or something. I don't know. It's not working, though. I can tell you're not quite there. It's not quite there. (laughs) Let's go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Short verse, powerful, powerful, pies right in with what we're talking about. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. And he's speaking to the, to the Galatians about the fact that they're leaving grace behind and tying back onto law. And he's, he's, he's just literally trying to get them back to reality. Verse 26. For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. What a magnificent thing to capture and to hold firmly to. And today, when we think about the, the, the importance and the magnitude of all of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, how my sin nailed him to that cross, it was my sin that he endured. And he counted his joy to bring me back, to buy me out of the slave market of sin. You know, we have these little... Um, in fact, I'll see, I'll, I'll see if I'm on the same page. If you see this, oops, okay. What does that mean? See, what would Jesus do? You guys have bracelets, you have all kinds of stuff, right? I'll tell you what Jesus did. Jesus died on a cross for you. The more important question is, now, uh, granted, I, I, I take, I mean, this is, this is good stuff. If you're in the middle of something and you can't figure out what to do, it's a pretty good idea. What would Jesus do right now? What would he do? Okay, and there's, there's some thought to that. But a more important question to do you today is, especially if you don't know Jesus Christ after laying this out, of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, what he accomplished literally by rising from the dead, the more important question is, what will you do? What will you do? What will you do? What will you do with Jesus? There's no greater question ever asked on this planet. What will you do? Now, again, I'm gonna, let's, let's finish with the superiority and the victory that is ours in Jesus Christ. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll close with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> and you should read the whole chapter of first first corinthians 15 if you're if you're feeling down and you're feeling a little discouraged pick this chapter up and if you end and you aren't ready to rip roar and tear then read it again first corinthians chapter 15 let's just start in at like verse 55 55 oh death where is your sting oh grave where is the thy victory the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, because of that, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Charge on because of what Jesus did. Let's pray. 
Father God, it's with a great deal of thanksgiving and admiration and love that we can't even possibly begin to return for what you accomplished in Jesus Christ. The cost, the price of what he did on Calvary's tree, the pain, the suffering, the scourgings, the crown of thorns that were smashed into his head, the suffering, the stress, the enormous pain that was wrought. But even more painful than that was that period of time, which we perceive to be from noon till 3 o'clock, where literally God the Father turned his back on his son for the sin that he was bearing. That would have been unimaginable given the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. And yet he endured. He endured with joy knowing what would be fulfilled and accomplished. Father, thank you that you were completely satisfied and you proved it by putting a stamp of approval upon Jesus Christ as he lay in that grave for just three days. For after three days, you raised him to life, resurrected life, sitting at the right hand of God today, being our advocate. He's cheering for us that have trusted in him. He is rooting for us. He is paying for us. We are co-heirs. Co-heirs when you're in Jesus Christ. When you're in the family of God, there are things that we can't even comprehend, the magnitude. Oh, Father, may this week be a week that we continue to commemorate, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christianity is nothing without it. But with it, it's everything. May there be an opportunity for us to share the life in Christ this week. And Father, if there's someone here today that has not made that personal decision to trust Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, the facts are in. He beat death. Something we can't do. He accomplished it completely. There's victory eternally. When one will trust Jesus Christ with everything that you are, then you become a part of God's family. You become co-heirs with God. How can we imagine that? Eternal life is yours when you believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead and you trust Him with your life. When you do that with the very innermost part of who you are, which is described in the Scriptures as your heart, and you repent of that sin which has kept you at a distance. It has removed you from being in fellowship with God. You are at war with God, literally, today, if you've not trusted Jesus. But by believing that in your heart, that wall, just as the temple veil was split from top to bottom, that wall that has acted as an enmity against God is torn down. The love of Jesus Christ will enter your heart. It will enter your life. The Holy Spirit moves in. He becomes part of you. As you read the scriptures, it will begin to make sense. You will see him as you've never seen him before. And you begin a journey of which eternal life is yours. Lord God, what a promise. What a blessing. Thank you for the gospel of John that we read today and to see how many things changed. How many people were affected? I think of Mary Magdalene. Here was a woman that literally was seven demons were cast out of her by her Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter, he was just a fisherman, kind of bold, kind of rough, kind of calloused. 
And yet he gave himself to the very end. These disciples were accused of stealing his body, but they would have known it was theft. It would have meant nothing. He was still dead, and yet they died a martyr's death. It's believed that Peter asked to be crucified upside down. He's not worthy to be crucified the same way that his Savior was. More importantly, Father, is we know what Jesus did, but what will we do? Who will we trust? Those are questions we need to be open about and candid with. And, Father, as we seek you, you, may, you can be found. Thank you, Father, for the word. Thank you for this day, a day that we can celebrate Jesus' resurrection. Father, may this week be a week of us just relying completely and totally upon you, our trust in your care. And now, Father, we thank you for what you're going to accomplish, thanking you in Jesus Christ's powerful name, who is above all names. Amen.